May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. And you can all have a seat. <clears throat> so as was mentioned about the time we started this morning, today is the Feast of the Holy Name. When they asked me, do you want to speak on the Feast of the Holy Name, I thought it was kind of a vague theme. Um, but after doing some reading, I realized it is specifically celebrating the anniversary of the circumcision of Christ Jesus, which is why our gospel reading ends on that mention. Um, as the eighth day from Christmas, the first of January would be the liturgical anniversary of the circumcision, which is also the day that Jesus would have been publicly named um, for his family and the rest of the Jewish people. I was thinking about names in the Bible. God likes to name things a lot. He starts really early with the naming in Genesis. The first dialogue is basically naming. He says, let there be light, but it's never had a name before. So that's the first time something's ever named. And by naming, he creates it. He names the night, then he names the day, then he names man, and then he names the man made in his image, Adam. And then he turns around and names everything else, like father, like son, I suppose. He also is in the business of renaming. Abram, exalted father, becomes Abraham, father of multitudes. Sarai's name changes as well. Jacob becomes Israel, he who strives with God. And way later in the Bible, Simon becomes Peter. And upon that rock, the church was built. God naming himself is a little bit different than the way he names other people and things. For most of the Bible, he sort of evades simple naming conventions very noticeably. And if we look for the syllables that God uses to name himself, sort of like we name ourselves, the most familiar moment, the one we all tend to grasp at, is when he tells Moses, who is also his most prolific biographer, as it were, so that's probably why we call him this the most, um, I am, or I am who I am or I will be what I will be, all shortened down to Yahweh, which is sort of our sacred name for God. He perhaps also called himself this once with Abraham too, so it's not just Moses, um, but it wasn't the primary name used in their relationship. Regardless, this phrase of being, this identity, more than really a simple name, was brought down through our eons and to our knowledge as Yahweh, which the sequence of four Hebrew letters for which is also called the Tetragrammaton, which sounds more like a transformer than a name. Um, so he has this sacred name, but one that seems to be a statement more of self-evidence than a simple set of sounds. He calls himself by a lot of other names too, in addition to this one, names that describe who and what and how he is beyond the neatly parceled packet of syllables. He calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob quite a lot. The Lord, he who provides, shepherd, bridegroom, deliverer, king, an assortment of animals and even some inanimate objects like rocks, more by the way of metaphor than, than naming. He reveals his names in a constant thread of elaboration throughout scripture, like one might reveal a new talent or an anecdote to people that one is getting to know. And I think this is part of a subtle but important detail in the benediction dictated to Aaron in our first reading today. 
by the repetition of this benediction, God says to Moses, they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. This benediction is a favorite prayer of mine. That said, I have never spent much time or intentions on the subtleties of the blessing itself. First, its context is important. Aaron is to end collective gatherings with this blessing. God is instructing his blessing as it is here to be given in his own words to his own people, frequently, predictably, with no gatekeeping. It was to be delivered to the collective congregation, not just people who bought, brought sacrifices, not just people who paid for prayers to be said on their behalf, which was a common practice in paganism and a pattern that can be seen even through our own history as Christians, as the wealthy, desperate, or both have been known to pay people to say prayers for them. Even now you can find these people online asking people to lift up their requests to God. But God says, no, this blessing is for everyone and you're going to remind them of it regularly. Second, we have the content. There's a lot of material blessings that are promised to the Israelites, not infrequently throughout the books of the law, should they keep the covenant that has been made with them. But this blessing isn't about prosperity or the land yielding its produce. It's about the relationship that God has with his beloved. It's not the gifts he will give, the necessities he will furnish. It's the promise of his watch over his people, his grace on them, his peace for them. And this isn't mentioned once, but twice, his looking upon them face to face. I always read that as sort of an idiomatic poetic phrasing, this being the God upon whose face Moses couldn't look. He could only look on his back uh, lest he be consumed by his glory. And that's not untrue for much of Israelite history. His people can't see the love in his eyes straight on, except through the incontrovertible evidence of his actions on their behalf. I would sort of thought of this more like John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going next. Um, but to some of you and to a lot of commentators, the next part was more obvious than it was to me. I thought it was a literary device, but this is the foreshadowing of how God is going to reveal himself, not through a glass darkly, not through his actions on their behalf, but face to face to his people. He is defining his name again. He's renaming himself to the Israelites with this blessing. And three times the name of Yahweh is invoked. Yahweh, the heavenly father, blesses in peace. But like in the Trinity, in the second instance, in the sun, he makes his face to shine upon us very literally during his earthly ministry and brings us his grace continually. In the final repetition, we can see the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the intercessor. He lifts up his countenance to bring us peace, that peace which passes all understanding. So the realization that here God is saying, this is my name and I'm coming in person was really a groundbreaking realization to me about this prayer. So going back to the Israelites, they're being told every time they gather what God's name means and God via Moses is saying how he wants the people to know him. He is the God of showing up, the God of looking them in the eyes. He's already telling them his face as their Lord will shine on them. He is telling them his very person will be flesh. 
He will be with them, not just through Moses or a priest or beyond the veil from the Holy of Holies. He will personally arrive. And we can argue that here he's already revealing to them. He's going to be presented at the temple like them, circumcised like them. And as we're about to discuss, named like a person would be with a short sequence of letters that makes a pleasing sound. The name Jesus, which he picked out quite far ahead of time, and that same infant is the God who will be what he will be. So we've come full circle to where I started talking, which is that God picks the name Jesus for himself to be given to himself on this day. I've always found his specificity on this point a little amusing. After a whole history of identifying himself by dozens of dozens of titles, he sends not one, but two angels to tell both earthly parents separately that he wants to use the name Jesus. Of the thousand names he uses, at least 200 of them belong to the son specifically, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, Emmanuel, the lamb, the lion, son of David, to name a few. Then we have Jesus. Yeshua, it's a slightly shortened Aramaic extraction of the ancient Hebrew Yehoshua or Jehoshua, which would have been the same name Joshua had. This was an extremely common name among the contemporaries of our Lord and Savior. There are at least 70 tombs that archaeologists have found belonging to distinct men of the time named Yeshua, and that report was from 2008, so I'm sure in the last 14 years they probably found more. It may not be exactly like naming your kid Josh, but it's pretty close. And maybe the message being passed along to both parents separately is not so much emphasizing the name per se. Maybe it's a lot about reassuring this young scared couple and giving them one less thing to argue about, but it still makes me wonder why this name. Detour for a brief personal anecdote. Obviously names matter, sometimes more than others. I've been in a gentle debate with my work colleagues about exactly how much they matter since starting work here because in the South or maybe it's Texas or whatever regionalism, if you're being called something distinguishably yours and not rude, you just kind of roll with it, or at least I did. I was mostly Godfrey growing up in school because there were way too many Elizabeths and adding an initial didn't help because they were Garcia and Gonzalez and I was Godfrey and there were just too many Gs. Memorably, I was whizzy for a good solid year because my sister was learning to talk and had missing teeth. And my best friend in grade school fortunately didn't meet me until my sister became able to say the L because she took Lizzie and used it for the next 20 years. Um, in college, I just took on whatever was easy, whatever suited my friends. Some called me Liz, some Lizzie, Elizabeth, whatever. I didn't really care. Although I still laugh that one declared on meeting me that Liz was far too informal and he would be using Elizabeth. We're still friends nine years later and I visit him in New York all the time, but the name has stuck. I don't think we can claim informality anymore. Point being, when I got here, my colleagues at the hospital all felt very strongly that there must be one perfect right name and they wanted to know what it was. They, wanted, they put a lot of pressure on me to tell them what it was, not make them guess. Pressure to choose aside. They're not wrong that having the same name on everyone's lips means there's a common reference point, a collective understanding of the person to whom it belongs. Someone has only to hear that name in the community and key in on the surrounding information. Everything is stored in the same communal knowledge bank. And we see that with how God has these blessings and these names used in the Israelite community. 
So of course I know that Jesus's name mattered, even though it was a common name, even though I may not understand exactly why, but we'll unpack it a little bit here. Names have a lot of character associations now, we all know this, but even and maybe especially in those days in the Near East, there's a lot of numerological meanings, astrological meanings, magical meanings. My mind also kind of wanders to when little kids are role playing and they get really, really enthusiastic about their code name, which in a way is sort of what's happening here since God is picking his name to be a human. But while I'm absolutely certain that the name Yeshua was hand chosen by God for a reason, I don't think it's the sound, the numerology, the childlike enthusiasm, or even the composition of the letters that matters. So going in a different direction, we have what does the name mean? It does literally mean salvation or savior, like I am that I am. It's a very self-explanatory name, a, very, a statement of being, just like Yahweh. But coming as it does so deep into Israelite history, it also carries a lot of baggage with it, other stories. Joshua would more or less have been Jesus's namesake, as I just mentioned, although his slightly longer name carries the additional meaning more of the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. But if we recall, he was one of only two Israelites who was allowed to go up from Egypt, who got allowed to survive the people's wandering. He was a faithful servant and a faithful leader. He did not fear to tell the truth to a nation who thought their deliverance would come from their own power. He also was a shepherd or deliverer, so to speak, and he led his people into the promised land. So perhaps God in choosing this name is reminding his people and revealing his son as a savior in the vein of Joshua, someone who delivers the people to a new kingdom despite their objections and shortcomings. On the other hand, in terms of negative, associates, uh, negative associations, Barabbas was also named Yeshua. Matthew reveals the fact in his gospel in some manuscripts, although there's debate on this point, and the name Bar Abbas, his surname means son of the father. So when we come to the penultimate conflict of the gospel, 33 years from the day we're celebrating today, plus minus whatever historians have calculated incorrectly, the people of Jerusalem are given the choice of freeing Yeshua Bar Abbas, a known political firebrand and a rebel against the Romans, or Jesus Yeshua, son of the capital F father, also a firebrand, but a rebel more against the world order. God had to have known this when he chose the name Jesus, that the last human showdown leading to Jesus's brutal death would be a choice between two men with the same name. They're literally choosing between two roads that are both named salvation. Maybe like many of Jesus's lessons, his name is all a parable, and this last fork in the road tells us what the world believes about salvation. Church folk, like many of us, tend to boil this choice and the, the more global choice of Jesus or not Jesus down to the choice of perdition and salvation, which isn't untrue, but to a lot of the world, like the Israelites, standing there picking between Bar Abbas and um, Jesus Christ, it doesn't look that way. Maybe to most of the world, the path Yeshua Bar Abbas represents is the one of trying to earn our own salvation, just like Barabbas's supporters in the rebellion against the Romans probably thought they were pulling themselves up by the bootstraps to save their people, their identity, their name from the Romans. 
And superficially, the path Jesus Christ represents didn't look so hot right after what happened next. But of the two Yeshuas who stood before the court that day, it's the man of self-determination whose mission failed. Because the alternative to us saving ourselves, inevitably poorly, is waiting for God himself, the I am, who always told us he was coming. When it comes down to it, today isn't just about the name that Jesus left the temple with 2,000 years ago, about to start his earthly ministry and his life. Um, back to my nickname conundrum, and I promise this place back in. I was amused after about a year at the hospital to hear someone say, pulling a Liz to refer to a coworker doing something they thought reminded them of me. It happened to be giving disproportionate care and attention to a minor task, which I'll accept as my namesake. But it meant that I was known well enough that my name meant my character now, not just my physical presence. My colleague didn't, wasn't talking about Liz, the colorectal surgery PA, or Liz, the scrub tech. There's still way too many of us. She meant me because everyone knows I'm the Liz that would do that. And when Paul says in our second reading in the letter to the Philippians that, just, that because Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. He already had the human name Jesus by the time he died on the cross, but Paul is reminding us once more that God's names proceed eternally from his character. Jesus's name matters because of the person behind it, because it proceeds from and is a part of the identity of the same God who swore to his people thousands of years earlier that he would look upon them face to face. The name we exalt is indeed the name a newly circumcised baby left the temple with all those millennia ago, but we exalt it because of the savior that that baby was becoming, one and the same as Moses' I am who I am.